0: Welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News
1: Political Director Rick Klein.
0: And Rick, we've got a big special edition of the Powerhouse Politics podcast. I'd call this a limited edition podcast available only to our listeners with two very special guests. We are joined right now by the authors of Shattered Inside Hillary Clinton's Doomed Campaign. So we have with us Jonathan Allen who is the head of content at Sidewire, a columnist at Roll Call, an adjunct professor at Northwestern University, I I assume over at the Medill School. And we have Amy Parn, senior White House correspondent for The Hill. These two, Rick, know more about Clinton land than any other two human beings alive. Today. God bless him. <laughs> and, two books. And, uh, two books on, <laughs> on 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 Hillary Clinton. And uh, and what do you have the show for it? And I love the cover picture too. If you haven't checked it out, it is it's actually perfect for, <laughs> for, for the moment. It's it's uh it's great. And and uh the the book has just hit some really fascinating uh, uh revelations in this book and. Uh, Amy and, and 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 John, I want to get right to uh, what I interested me caught my attention is is some of the Bill Clinton backstory. Because one thing I was wondering as this as this was all crashing and burning is my God, what is really going on inside Bill Clinton's head? And you've got some fascinating detail that, frankly, um, made me think back to my time covering the Gore campaign when Gore lost, and there were. There was all kinds of coverage of, you know, Bill Clinton wanted to go out there. And if only he had tapped Bill Clinton and let him campaign for him, things could have turned out differently. That's not exactly the narrative you have, but it's but but there are some echoes of that narrative. What was going on with Bill Clinton?
2: Yeah, definitely. I think what happened was they kept him on a tight leash. Uh, post 2008 because of he kept making uh, blunders on the campaign. So this time around, you didn't really have him going out until right before the Iowa caucus. Uh, and then uh, he was sensing a different kind of thing that then Brooklyn was actually reporting uh, via their analytics and data. He was saying, look, I'm talking to people. The feeling on the ground is different. I think you need to send me to X, Y and Z places. And he was getting pushback from from Brooklyn.
1: So X, Y, and Z places, by the way, very
0: small places.
2: Right, so, yeah. right? That's part of it. Right. But but it, it, how, how much
0: is the feeling um, in, in kind of Bill Clinton land among his advocates and, and, in, and in his own mind? How much is there of if they had only listened to me? I'd say that's about
3: 115% of what he's feeling right now. And I'm not real big on those uh, those abnormal fractions or whatever where he gets over 100%. But, yeah, I mean, Bill Clinton looked at what Robbie Mook, the campaign manager, and the data analytics team – uh, he looked at what they were doing, and he thought that you know these these eggheads don't don't really know politics. They don't understand persuasion. Uh, one of the things we detail in the book is how they made the decision, uh, essentially, to stop trying to persuade people who disagreed with Hillary Clinton to vote for her, and focused only on turning out the people who already agreed with her. That's the exact opposite of Bill Clinton's instinct. He wanted to go out uh, into some of these suburban and rural places where he knew he wasn't going to win over the majority of folks, but he wanted to make a dent. He wanted to show up. He wanted to make the argument. Uh, for his wife and the argument that she was making and see if he could persuade a few people. And he knew that there was some power just in showing up, particularly as an ex-president in small places that don't often get that kind of attention, uh, just, to, just to show some sympathy, show some empathy, to show that uh, he understood what was going on. We saw in October of, uh, of 2016 one of the underreported stories in the aftermath of all this has been uh, the effect of the Obamacare premium uh, spikes. That were announced uh, in October and, and how that may have affected uh, swing voters. Bill Clinton went out and, and sort of uh, off script and said, uh, you know, Obamacare's problems, of Obamacare's problems, this is the craziest thing. And the Clinton campaign reacted poorly to it and they wanted to shut it down and said, you know, he was, he was totally off script there. But the truth is he was acknowledging what a lot of those voters were feeling and that's of course the predicate to persuasion is to make sure people understand you gotta uh, that feel you their get them. Yeah, you well, feel I their mean, pain. it's it's cliche and it's it's what Bill Clinton would say, but I mean, I think he's feeling that right now that his that his wife and her campaign failed uh, to connect with people who disagreed with her or who were on the fence because she didn't feel their pain. Well, you just made a good point there, his, his wife and the campaign,
1: because that that one thing I'm I'm struck in reading these passages, and you, you document in in some detail how Bill Clinton is frustrated and trying to voice that frustration and and kind of being shunted to the side, we're talking about his wife as the candidate, right? So if, if he felt this burning uh, suspicion that there was a secret Trump vote out there, that, that, he, that she was not connecting, how did that not penetrate Hillary Clinton? Did, it, did the message get to her or did, was she the one ultimately rejecting it through the people that she surrounded herself
3: with? I mean, ultimately, she's the one rejecting it. She's making the decision to keep the people who are making those decisions in place. Uh, and she, she looked to limit the influence of, uh, Robbie Mook by elevating other people. You know, the, he was the campaign manager by the end of the campaign, and this is something that wasn't reported until this book, but they basically had, by the end of the campaign, a board of supervisors or a, a board of directors, uh, called the Super Six. Uh, so Mook f- suddenly, f- suddenly found himself with essentially five peers making decisions. Um, but she kept them in place on uh, in particular on uh, the strategy in the field and the strategy on data and the, and the budgeting, which is the stuff that he was ultimately uh, unsuccessful in. Um, and you know I think that uh, that I think that the history of Bill Clinton and the uh, that John Carl was talking about, John, you were talking about at the beginning. Um, of this is important to understand because Bill Clinton got blamed in 2008 for asserting himself too much. In 2012, he got a lot of credit for helping Barack Obama in the way that Barack Obama's campaign wanted him to, that he was under control and sort of brought in, talked to, and kept away from ad hoc interactions with the public. Uh, And so he tried to follow that model this time because he didn't want to be blamed for defeating his wife again. Um, and so, you know, I think the it worked better for the Obama people. This model worked better for the Obama people because Obama was ultimately a better candidate than Hillary Clinton was. Uh,
1: your book has provoked quite a backlash among the Clinton aides, and they've been all over Twitter and what looks like a, a, a coordinated campaign to, to show how happy they they actually were during this time. I want to know what you make of that, but but also during the campaign. Unlike 2008, during the campaign, there were almost no signs of the the kind of internal tension that you document. A couple of stories here and there, but uh, but not that w- it wasn't a dominant theme. Like it was with the Trump folks. I mean, you, they, every day was staff drama. They went through three three plus campaign managers over or Clinton at, at Trump 2008. Headquarters.
2: Mm -hmm, Exactly. Um, And I think they, based on what they learned in 2008, where you had people screaming uh, in conference rooms and, you know, all at this, obviously made headlines and it was all over the cable network. So they kind of overlearned that. And this time around, they kind of swept it all under the rug and made it seem like you kept seeing the word joyful, like this is a, a joyful campaign. Uh, it, it actually wasn't, and, and we detail that. And um, as for the reaction to uh, the Clinton folks, I think we, we stand by our reporting. We didn't just talk to one or two or three or four folks. We talked to more than 100 sources, uh, most of those inside the campaign, a lot of those at the top level. So we we stand by our reporting. And, and, well, and I, I should also
3: say, if I, if I can add to that, there's just the, there are uh, – this is a reported book, and there are moments that are very difficult uh, for, for Democrats and people who are involved in the campaign. And there are also moments of jubilation, you know, when they win states in the primaries. And, uh, you know, this is, there's, there's a little bit of everything uh, in this book because it's really just documenting what happened. And
2: I think if you read between the lines, too, it's not like we are portraying Hillary Clinton as this sinister person. There are actually very sympathetic moments. I heard from a few Clinton supporters yesterday who told me they actually cried uh, so it's it 's not like a we 're bashing someone over the head with you know how bad Hillary Clinton is. I think uh, there 's something in this for everyone
0: and you know frankly, when you have that kind of a coordinated campaign and and, and it 's really something I mean when you see the the, the words coming out you 've got Palmieri and Fallon and Reynolds you got, I mean when you see that much and I love all those folks uh, you get the sense maybe it actually hit a nerve. <laughs> you know yeah. it it's uh so i i i think that's that's probably a it may in fact be a good sign uh, uh for your for your book but i, I want to fast forward uh to the end of the campaign cuz we all remember election night uh rick and i were on the were were on the set there for abc news you know uh in, in, in until the wee hours of the morning and you know it became clear that that, that trump had won and uh, there was this long, you know, question is, you know, the, 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 all the assembled people were there at the Javits Center. Were we going to hear uh, from from Hillary Clinton? And in that odd, what seemed to me anyway, extraordinarily odd uh, moment, you have Podesta, the campaign chairman, going out to make the statement that uh, that, that you know, basically there will be no there will be no concession. There'll be no victory speech. there will be. We're just going to wait. Um, what, what was you, – you have some fascinating details. Can you recount some of what was actually going on there with Hillary Clinton in those, in those hours, in those minutes after they realized that they had lost and whether or not to go out there and actually say something?
2: So earlier in the evening, uh, she was getting a call from uh, President Obama basically saying that uh, she needed to concede. And it, and they made it known on the Obama side at the White House that this was something that the president wanted. Uh, even when John Podesta, even after he, he appeared on stage at Javits, he was driving back and he got a call from the president as well saying, okay, come on, guys, this needs to happen tonight. Uh, and uh, so we detail a lot of that in the book. Um, and then uh, we, we take you back inside the room after Podesta uh, returns. And, and basically, uh, President Obama calls uh, and kind of in a consolation call, basically uh, wants to talk to her. And uh, Huma Abedin is in the room, has a uh, cell phone. Uh, she she knows the president's on the phone. She says the president's on the phone uh, to Secretary Clinton. And according to those in the room, Secretary Clinton winces. Uh, it's a painful moment for her. She's feeling the weight of that moment. She picks up the phone and uh, she tells the president, I'm sorry. Uh, and so we detail all this in the book.
0: Well, it, it's... It- it's an extraordinary moment you can imagine, especially with as much as, I mean, as much as it was the Obama legacy that was that was on the on the ballot and and how much it depended on 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 her victory. Um, but you know, all the talk going into Election Day would, was assuming, as so many did, uh, that Trump was going to lose. Was he actually going to concede? Um, and then here we were that night, and I remember thinking, "Oh my God, we're in the we're in the opposite situation where Hillary Clinton is lost, and we're wondering where's the concession? What, wh- I mean, what what was keeping her from going out there and 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 addressing her supporters in the Javits Center and that night? Why it, why wait? Yeah, the, 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 she had already. We, we now know she had already conceded in terms of the phone call to, to, uh, uh, to Donald Trump. Why did she not go out and address her supporters that night? So um,
3: there are two reasons there's the one that they gave uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, in terms of in terms of the they gave to the president and they gave to uh, David Seamus, the White House political director which was that she wasn't ready to go out and give a full concession speech that this was a you know the end of a run for her and she wanted to gather herself and gather her thoughts and she had not, uh, even reviewed her concession speech, uh, you know, before before she congratulated Donald Trump on the presidency. So she had gone over the victory speech earlier that night, but had not even looked at the uh, – or at least not read a full version of the concession speech. Um, so there was that. But, uh, but in talking to people, we also know that there was a pretty hot debate going on over whether it was possible that more votes would be found in uh, Michigan or Wisconsin or Pennsylvania and whether um, whether it was possible that uh, recounts would be triggered, and you know, might there be some way that she could still win this election? And she didn't want to, go but she out had there. already
0: she had already called Trump.
3: Well, by that I mean, at, but at the time she had called Trump. By the time she called Trump, you're talking about two. F- 2.45 or so in the morning. I mean, it was, it was it was pretty late at that point, and her view was she wasn't ready to make that speech. They didn't, okay.
2: even, have a, they didn't even have a place to actually give the speech, we find out. Uh, they, people were... I was at Javits Center that night, and uh, reporters were being kicked out around that time because they expected it to all be wrapped up, and... Uh, I think
1: there was another event that they needed to set up yeah, for in the morning Yeah, exactly.
2: There, right? So they were scrambling, actually, to, uh, to find a place for her to give the concession.
3: And, I mean, she wasn't she wasn't made up she wasn't ready to go i mean there was a, a whole set of of things that made made it unlikely she was going to make that speech, and she certainly you know, wasn't ready to. And there was even a debate, and we detail this in the book, and I think it's actually one of the m- most interesting parts of the book, this debate about what she should say after she's lost, because she looks at her speech for the first time after she's uh, conceded to, to Trump, but looks at the speech that she's going to give to the public, and she looks at it and she says, you know, this is too, this is too political. Uh, her aides had basically written, uh, you know, something that was was kind of a burn on Trump and a rallying cry for Democrats. And she looked at it and said, this is not what I want to do. I want to exit gracefully. Uh, and, and her senior uh, aide, Jake Sullivan, pushed back and said, you've told people that Donald Trump is dangerous for the country, and if you believe that, you need to go out there and say it. And she just she looked at him looked at everybody else and said, you know, that's somebody else's job. I, I lost this campaign, and, and that was my last race. Uh, And so they go back overnight and they they rework it. And then in the morning she decides she wants to bring it back a little bit and make it a little bit more tough. But she wants to hit that perfect note where she can... Uh, make a little bit of a rally and cry, make a sort of statement about Trump, and still not get dinged for being too politica- political. And we actually think she hit that balance about exactly as she wanted to. One of the things she wrote in the margin of the speech was a, a circle with a cross attached to it, the sign of, uh, uh, of uh, female the international symbol for female. Uh, She wanted to make sure she said something about uh, all the little girls that were watching what was going on and all the women across the country, uh, and that had not originally been in the speech, and she ended up doing that. And I think it's that clip that most often gets played uh, of her concession speech now.
1: Now, John, a moment ago you said burn, (laughs) (laughs) B-U-R-N, but B-E-R-N, that other burn. They, that's a relationship that uh, to me is fascinating in cozy, this.
0: cozy one
2: Co-
1: cozy. <laughs> they're so friendly, it got, it, it, they got along so well as we know, <laughs> so you recount I and mean, we remember the extraordinary scene at the convention with all of the burn baby burn and the, 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 the fight over the delegates and what, what a raucous scene that was but the, the tension was continuing weeks later so, so walk us through what happens uh, when, when they're trying to get an ad cut with Bernie Sanders in it endorsing Hillary Clinton
3: so it's it's September of 2016, and uh, they want to try to get some of these Bernie folks who are not yet on board on board, and they they also think that Bernie Sanders may have some effect uh, on on undecided voters who who like Trump or are listening to Trump. So uh, the Clinton folks ask uh, Bernie Sanders to cut an ad for her, uh, and his aides Tad Div- Tad Devine goes up to New Hampshire. Um, uh, yeah, goes up to uh, uh, Vermont. I'm sorry to to cut this ad. And Bernie's like sits down in his living room and he's like going over the ad and he's like rewriting the script a little bit, but he's he's fine with the thrust of it. and He's happy to do what he said he's he was going to do, which is to help um, you know help Clinton any way he could. And uh, so he sits down. And he's like looking at this and and he comes to the to the end of the script and it says, "I'm with her." And he says, "I'm not saying that. That's so phony." Uh, <laughs> he just he thought even her her little hashtag. Uh, just sounded terrible, so he wouldn't do it, uh, and he cuts the ad. And he sent, they send it to the Clinton people, and the Clinton people uh, put it through before focus groups. And the focus groups come back and say, like, we don't believe that Bernie Sanders actually supports her in watching him do this endorsement ad. Uh, and even worse, it, I mean, it basically, seems like it hurts his credibility more than it helps her. So they end up not running the Bernie Sanders ad. And I think there were people who were aware of that ad who believed. Uh, that would have been helpful to her, even though the focus groups didn't like it. They felt like, they felt like a broader audience might. The focus groups tend to have some some biases, uh, but it's astonishing that she had a full ad with
0: Bernie Sanders endorsing her that she never ran. It's fascinating, and, and you you saw this interview this week uh, on MSNBC with Chris Hayes where, where Bernie won't say he's a Democrat even now, I, even now. I, I,
2: even as he's touring, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: I, I actually thought wasn't there a moment during the primaries where he had said he had, he had he embraced the party is that he was trying to get the nomination of? I mean, I thought we'd kind of crossed that, but uh, he he, uh,
3: he had to because he had yeah. to be on the ballot as a Democrat in order to get into the debates and things.
0: So, like that. so what's he done? So now he's just revoked his membership of the Democratic <laughs> Party. Is that? I mean, it's, it's it's fascinating. Well, look, this uh uh congratulations on the book. Congratulations on sticking with it. Uh, what is the uh, what is the third chapter? The third book going to be the. Third Installment for Clinton. Um, what are you going to do? What's next? Uh, somebody else will be writing
3: the next <laughs> chapter of Hillary Clinton's life. Yeah, I think I
0: think we're done with Clinton books. <laughs> is there? But is there a next chapter for her? I mean, do you do you? Do, what, what, what do you? I mean, she's obviously still recovering. I, I get a sense she's been out there with some really pointed stuff and in, 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 in over the last uh, month and a half or so. Uh, I mean, do you think we're going to see more and more of her? Is she going to fade back into the hiking in Chappaqua? or what? I mean, what 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 do you what do you think?
2: No, I think she's she's coming out of the woods, <laughs> and, uh, and we're going to see her a little more. Um, I, I think she wants to play a role in uh, politics, but she doesn't want to be at the epicenter and doesn't want to run another campaign. You uh, think she'll but,
0: endorse the next, uh, you know, candidate uh, next time around? I mean, she's
2: Definitely. Not, the thing about her is that— We believe her,
0: by the way, when she says she's not going to run again, right? Yeah, yeah. We, I think totally. we do. Okay. Um, and you think. I, okay, yeah. for now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Rick, say it to yourself. Two she's years. not okay. going to run again. Okay. <laughs>
2: Yeah, but I think you know the thing about Hillary Clinton is that people really like her when she's not the candidate. She's actually a little more likable, and uh, so maybe she will come back in and, and help the party in that way. But
0: but you think we'll see like this 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 progression of Democrats coming to to speak to her and to hope to eventually get her endorsement during the primary. This is going to be a very I assume a very competitive uh, Democratic primary, and I don't know. I mean, we don't know how these things go. We we. we Again, to harken back to ancient history, uh, 2004, you would have thought that Al Gore was going to be like the, you know, the ultimate, um, you know, uh, endorser to get. He ended up endorsing a fellow named Howard Dean, uh, who I think had the absolute pinnacle of his campaign the day before Gore endorsed him. (laughs) Uh, But I mean, how how important is that endorsement going to be? And do you you think we'll we'll see people cultivating or are people going to say that's the old party we need to decisively turn in a different direction?
3: I think that there uh, it depends on the candidate. Uh, I don't think every candidate would go for her go to her and seek an endorsement or seek her help, but I do think uh, that she that there are some unique aspects of her candidacy uh, and what she means historically that uh, that you could see some candidates wanting to go for her or go, go toward her and get an endorsement. I mean, I think there are a lot of women who feel like this this election uh um Exposed misogyny in the electorate. I think there are a lot of women who felt like uh, she was robbed in a way, and I think you know she. By the by the time she she actually was on the ballot for the Democrats at the end, I think she meant a lot to a lot of people that might not have necessarily been. Uh, huge backers of her before, so I, I could see somebody coming to her and asking for her help courting uh, her her most uh, loyal supporters. Well,
0: fascinating. I, I just don't know if Bernie Sanders is going to get that endorsement. <laughs> it, but, it won't be Bernie. But, 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 hey, but hey, look, uh, Jonathan Allen, Amy Parnes, thank you for joining us here on Powerhouse Politics. Congratulations on the book, and, and thank you for taking time to talk to us about it here. And Rick, that is all the time we have for this special edition of Powerhouse Politics, but you know we will be back soon with your regularly scheduled Powerhouse politics thank you for listening